and welcome to The Watcher's Diaries, a weekly podcast all about Buffy. I'm Mary. And I'm Froggy. And this week we're talking about Season 2, Episode 2, Some Assembly Required. Just a few small announcements. Dylan is still out in the woods, living their best life, and hopefully not being eaten by some scary-ass monster. (laughs) And just so people know, we're actually recording two in one day, so he hasn't been in the woods forever. They are not lost in the woods. Lost in the woods. I just felt the need to clarify that our our Dylan is not completely lost, that we're just doing two episodes today. <laughs> not doomed to wander the no. woods forever. Also, hopefully next week we will once again be joined by Jackie. So yay, yay for that. And since we mentioned the Boom Comics last episode, I highly suggest everyone pick up at least the new one-shot. Oh my god. That is out. Yeah, see, there you go. (sighs) It cycles through a bunch of what-if tales about Giles being a vampire. And it's just, it's so amazing. It's better than it has ever any right to be. Oh my God. I'm going to need them to give us at least three more stories set in this little pocket universe. That the, the cover art is just fantastic. And yeah, cause like everything, like it's all this, it's all the Scoobies telling a story about what they think vampire Giles would be like. And then there's a little twist at the end and definitely recommend it. It's so good. And I have super love for the cover because there was a photo shoot at some point that was Anthony and James. And I think they had bloody teacups. Oh, cool. I'll have to see if I can find the picture. If I can find the picture, if I'm not making this up, I don't think I am because there were a lot of weird photo shoots in the late 90s, early 2000s. The Buffy photo shoots were definitely something special. But if I can find them, we'll do a side by side and we'll throw up the cover art on Twitter and Instagram because it is. It's just it's It's fabulous. Yeah. So some assembly required aired September 22nd, 1997, still a Monday. Our synopsis for this episode is Cordelia ends up on the wish list of two teens building the perfect date for their monstrous creation. (laughs) That title. (laughs) Short, simple, to the point. Yeah, yeah. No, that's pretty much how it happens. So between the title of this episode and its synopsis, it's not hard to see that this episode is meant to pay homage to one of the great classic monsters, Frankenstein's creation. Uh, We'll actually see a few episodes throughout the series, and especially in this season, that pay um pay homage to these great what i mean basically the universal monsters oh yeah yeah and it's and the source of all of the horror was it's just, during, yeah, yeah like, this time yeah these this classic this classic horror element that i mean i'm pretty sure those universal monster movies launched all of this and are the reason we have this show yep. <laughs> but speaking of titles do we have any good international ones? We do. We do. Um, I'm not going to try to pronounce the Czech because it <laughs> is definitely a little bit more difficult. So it does translate to self-assembly required. Okay. Finnish is Haudantaka, beyond the grave. Ooh. French, speaking of shortened to the point, le puzzle, the puzzle. German, they don't even give me what it is in German, but the translation is Operation Cordelia. Oh, I like that. I like that one. Hungarian, Retzkebol Egeset, From Parts to Whole. Hungar- uh, sorry, Italian, Pecci di Recambio, Spare Parts. Oh, that's ja- nice. Japanese translates to Revive the, revive the Corpse. <laughs> Polish, again, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it translates to extended overview. (laughs) That one I don't understand. I know, I know. But okay. Spanish, Latin America. I'm having a bad day with with pronunciation, so I'm just going to do the... You're doing as well, if not better, than I would be doing, so go for it. So that's the last one, so I'm going to do for Spanish, Latin America, it's someone has been required. Well, again, (laughs) Not wrong. (laughs) 
so yeah, there are there's some good ones, and there's definitely a lot that stray off of what the title is in English. Like those are the ones I'm always so curious about. Like, yes, spare parts make sense. Yeah. But how how extended overview? Like, is there a definition like lost in translation? Yeah, as well? I, I know. Oh, you know what? <laughs> Portuguese, I you know what? Portuguese Brazil, I forgot. I skipped over. It needs retouching. Again, not wrong. Yeah. Like the, some of the ones that are way out there, I'm also, I'm often like, how did you get there? Yeah. Like it seems like it's a literal translation because some of these I, languages, it's difficult to translate to English because a lot of them are concepts, especially with things like Japanese. So yeah, I'm wondering if that's what it is on some of the ones that are just like some that you're like, okay, this is a weird title, but I can still see how it makes sense. But some that are just so far off base. Yeah. I'm wondering if that's just what the words literally translate to and I love I kind of love Operation Cordelia I do like Operation Cordelia that might be the title I was gonna say I think Operation Cordelia should be our title so we have no previously on this episode but we do get the return of the Slayer Spiel now voiced by Giles yay instead of the strange guy who did all of the stuff in the WB in the 90s yes yes and this time we have our watcher you know explaining to us makes so much more sense and it's very dramatic it's very dramatic he anthony is really pulling out his british monologue voice for the opening monologue it it just sounds like he is standing on stage doing this in a production it does it really it really does (laughs) this is the like i studied shakespeare voice everything yes everything is shakespeare out of that mouth we begin in a cemetery buffy's sitting atop a grave as she waits for its occupant to rise angel appears taking her a bit by surprise and she scolds him for walking so silently in the graveyard. You don't walk quietly. You make noise. Yodel even. Okay. Now I would like, I'd like to hear David Boreanaz yodeling. Right? We're missing, there's some missed opportunities here. I know, I know. He says he heard she was on the hunt and she says she was supposed to be, but you know, the guy seems to be a no-show. Angel tells her he'll show. It's just a bit disorienting when you first wake up. Buffy says it's weird thinking of him going through that and he admits it's weird to go through. They then proceed to have another super awkward <sighs> conversation where Angel asks if she's there alone or if Xander is with her basically trying to figure out if she and Xander are dating. No. I'm like, what the fuck, Angel? You're not even dating. She asks if he's jealous and if this has to do with their dance at the bronze. Angel says dance is a loose term. <laughs> More like mated with. He is not wrong. No, he's not wrong at all. They're arguing so much that they don't see the vampire come up behind them until he pushes Buffy into Angel. It's then that she remembers, oh yeah, she came there for a reason. <laughs> They do their thing, fighting the newly risen vamp. Angel gets hit in the head with a shovel. (laughs) Buffy, having dropped her stake, needs to improvise and uses said shovel to stake the other vamp after breaking it. Once he's disposed of, she turns back to Angel, wanting to know what he meant when he called Xander just a kid. Does that mean she's just a kid? Yes. Yes. Yes, Buffy, you are just a kid. If Xander is just a kid, you're the same age as Xander. You're just a kid. We already know that he is old, that... Angel is old. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, we actually, we get confirmation in this episode that he is 241. Yes, yes. You are a kid. Everybody is a kid to him. Everyone. Giles is a kid to him. Giles is a kid to Angel. Yes. Oh, I need that. I'm sad we didn't have that in the show somewhere. What? Angel Just calling? Angel being like the adult in the room with Giles. And Giles like, wait, I'm usually the adult in the room. Yeah, yeah. Angel says, clearly it was a mistake coming there and turns to leave. But Buffy's having none of it. She starts to chase after him only to fall into an open grate. Angel remarks, another vampire must have risen. But Buffy doesn't think so. There are weird tracks leading away from the grave. And a shoe that somehow fell off. No, whoever was once in that grave didn't walk away. They were dragged. Bum, bum, bum. Credits, still awesome. Still awesome. We move from the credits to Sunnydale High, where Buffy and Xander enter the library to find Giles practicing asking Miss Calendar out. <laughs> so cute. And kind of like Xander's rehearsal during Prophecy Girl, it's going less than well. <sighs> as Giles just yells idiot in the middle of it. <laughs> Oh, he's so sweet. He's just... It's Giles. Giles. (sighs) Buffy says if he doesn't mind a little Gene and Robert, that usually declaring someone an an idiot is kind of a turnoff. Not to Xander. He says he kind of likes it. You know what? I think Jenny, like, if Giles just in the middle of him trying to ask her out, if he just shouted idiot 
she would be charmed by it. I think she would. I think she would. She would would just let him go and see how far he can babble and then probably put him out of his misery. I mean, that's kind of basically what she ends up doing. That's exactly it. Yes. Unknowingly. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Sanders says he kind of likes it. Buffy tells him that she fears him. Gene and Robert refer to Gene Siskel and Robert Ebert, a pair of film critics slash journalists who both wrote for Chicago Publications and hosted their own movie review TV shows from 1975 until Siskel's death in 1999. Oh, yeah, it was 1999. Mm-hmm. Wow, that was a long time ago. Shh. <laughs> Buffy goes on to tell Giles that he might want to avoid words like amenable, (laughs) but he should just speak English, not whatever it is they speak in England. (laughs) He needs to keep it simple. Oh, I feel a thing. You might feel a thing. Let's do a thing. Advice to which Giles replies, thank you, Cyrano. Cyrano, as in Cyrano de Bergiac, a French novelist, playwright, epistolarian, and duelist. Because yes, there actually was a real-life Cyrano. Yep. While he is most famous for serving as the inspiration to Edmund Rostand's drama, there is a lot of myth and invention in the play, which is about Cyrano wooing the lovely Roxanne, his distant cousin, from afar as he feels his nose will prevent him from ever being loved, even by an ugly woman. (laughs) Which... Shockingly, as a pop culture reference, ties in both to Giles trying to ask Jenny for a date and kind of what's going on with the main plot of this episode. Exactly. No, it's a really good... It's a really good reference. Yeah, because a lot of times the pop culture references are just references, just something that throws away. This one actually works with the plots. Yes, because we're going to see we're going to see a lot of conversations about love pop up throughout this episode. Yep. And it's just that's just that was top notch well done Buffy goes on to tell him to ask her if she likes Mexican the food if she says yes he then takes her to dinner for which he pays Xander just wants to confirm that the chairwoman is Miss Calendar yes (laughs) when he asks what would make them say that they spell out the facts for him one Miss Calendar is kind of dullsome for an old person (sighs) two she already knows his most embarrassing secret that he is a school librarian and three she's the only woman they've ever seen him talk to (laughs) that's not that's That's not wrong. (laughs) It all pretty much spells duh. Yeah. And even if he does talk to anybody else, he's not the gibbering idiot that he is around Miss Calendar. No, not at all. Xander threatens to give Giles the talk, saying the stork is a myth, while Giles desperately tries to change the subject. Oh, God. Poor Giles. (laughs) Asking Buffy how things went the night before. She says it's fine. She and Angel took care of the vampire, but they did find an empty grave, one they suspect the body was stolen from. Grave robbing? This has Giles very intrigued, as it's new and different. Buffy says she knows he meant to say gross and disgusting. And Giles is like, yes. (laughs) Yes, I did. No, he didn't. No, no, Giles. No. Xander asks why someone would want to steal a body, and Giles says he'll put together some theories, though it would help if they knew who the body belonged to. Meredith Todd. Buffy doesn't know her, and neither it seems does Xander, but according to her headstone, she was about their age. Giles says maybe they should have Willow fire up the computer, which he calls this thing. <laughs> And see what she can find. We move to the science fair signups where Willow is signing up and Eric is being a creep and photographing girls. Oh, creeps. So many creeps. So many creeps. His buddy Chris tells him to stop it before signing up himself. Willow and Chris, it seems, have a bit of a science fair rivalry going on as Willow says that every year he beats her. He tells her the key is to do an experiment the teacher doesn't understand. Do that and he'll mark you higher just to make it look like he understands. Taking a look at her title, Effects of Sub violet light spectrum deprivation on the development of fruit flies, he says that should do the trick. Which is when Cordelia arrives, saying she is signing up only because it's mandatory. Something she finds to be totally unfair. No one should have to do educational stuff at school if they don't want to. (laughs) Her project is apparently the tomato, fruit or vegetable. She says she wanted something she could finish in a weekend. So if the science fair is mandatory. Why don't we see Buffy and Xander talk about it? Are they in the class with them this year? Possible. Look, Mary. I know, I'm trying to make sense of this, but... It doesn't make sense. Look, we've already discussed how weird the classes are at this school. 
This is true with our we science, should, like double science track or whatever. We should just be happy that they are actually having class and we do see these kids in class. That's true. That's Considering true. we've we've discussed the way that other high school shows deal with class, which is not at all. Class is optional. So at least somebody's going to class at this school. That's true. That is true. We should we should just be grateful for yes. that. She turns to leave and Eric begins taking pictures of her, something she is initially upset about, not because it's weird and creepy, but because they're under fluorescent light. <laughs> she then makes a remark about how she thought the yearbook nerds didn't come out of hibernation till spring. <laughs> So in the script, Eric is described as an annoying, aggressive science nerd, while Chris is shy and brainy, but he has a quiet authority. Buffy and Xander arrive, apologizing for interrupting, but they need Willow. Bat signal. She thanks Chris and leaves with them, but not before Eric also manages to get a picture of Buffy. Cordelia also leaves, and Eric mentions how she is fine and (laughs) how she'd be just perfect for them. Chris tells him not to be an idiot. She's alive. Something on Eric's face tells me that doesn't... doesn't think that's an issue. No, no, I don't think that's going to be a problem. The whole way that the whole way that he called her fine oh again is such so aggressively 90s. Aggressively 90s. Yeah. The bat signal mentioned in this scene, of course, refers to Gotham's way of signaling Batman. It first appeared in Detective Comics number 60 in February of 1942. As for Eric and Chris, Eric is played by Michael Bacall, who has done everything from Punky Brewster in Small Wonder to Scott Pilgrim and Inglorious Bastards. Chris is played by Angelo Spaziri, who actually gave up acting in 2006 to become a tour manager for several rock bands. Oh. He was found dead a year later in 2007 of unknown causes. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, that's a shame. Back in the library, Willow tells them it shouldn't take long to get the information and that she is probably the only girl in school with the coroner's office bookmarked. (laughs) As she's searching, Cordelia comes in and says she doesn't want to interrupt, but she was wondering if Willow could help her with her science fair project. It's a fruit. Willow tells her this without ever looking up. <laughs> she says she would have asked Chris, but that just would have brought back too many memories of Daryl. Willow finds what she's looking for, saying Meredith was killed in a car accident the week before. Cordelia, meanwhile, reflects on how she has learned to live with her pain. <laughs> Buffy asks how Meredith's neck was, meaning any puncture marks. And Willow says fine, aside from being broken. Cordelia would like people to focus on her pain. <laughs> And Giles comes out of his office, patting her on the shoulder with a there, there. (laughs) However, in the original script, it's Xander that unenthusiastically comforts her. (laughs) I like that Giles just walked out and it was just there, there. Like, probably had no idea what they were even talking about. No, he just, and and he probably just heard Cordelia shouting about how they need to pay attention to her pain. He doesn't know. He doesn't care. He's just going to do the bare minimum to try to comfort her and then go about his life. Because that's all she needs. She just needs acknowledgement. Yes. She just needs someone to acknowledge that she is feeling something. She's Tinkerbell. (sighs) (laughs) Willow goes on to say that Meredith died instantly in the crash along with two other girls. They were all members of another school's pep squad and on their way to a game. So they were right. Her body was stolen. As Xander says, this may mean some other school will beat them in the body count competition. This <laughs> Cordelia ooze over the fact that every conversation they seem to have has the word corpse in it. So why would someone steal a body? Giles said it could be demons that consume the flesh of humans to acquire their souls. Or it could be someone practicing voodoo. Wait, as in a zombie? Zombies, actually. As most voodoo priests would require more than one. Looks like they're going on a field trip. Yay! As the Scoobies need to discover whether the other girls from the accident were taken as well. Willow asks if Buffy's going to invite Angel, and Buffy says no. No. She and Angel, it's been weird lately, and she'd rather let him think she's taking the night off. Xander's more than okay with that and suggests (laughs) 9 p.m. BYO shovel. (laughs) Willow offers to bring the snacks and they look at Cordy seeing if she'd like to join. She'd love to, really. But oh darn, he has cheerleading practice. If only they had told her sooner. (laughs) I love how comfortable they're getting with each other now. Yes. I, it's so good. Yeah, because it, it's a lot of the animosity that she had before is gone. It's just, 
I, lo- I love the interactions with Cordelia now. Xander tells her that if she sees the army of zombies to call them before they eat her face. Cordelia scurries off and Giles <laughs> looks at Xander correcting him. Zombies don't eat the flesh of the living. He knew that. Just, <laughs> did he see her face? <laughs> Bad Xander. In the cemetery, Willow and Buffy sit talking while Xander and Giles work on digging up the grave of, the, <laughs> of one of the other Pep Squad members. They talk of Angel and how he was totally jealous of Xander. Willow asks if it's because of the sexy dance, and Buffy asks if she's ever going to live that down. <laughs> The answer is no, Buffy. Nope, not at all. Willow tells Buffy that love makes you do the wacky. I love that line. <laughs> I love that line. And we'll hear it twice in this episode. Yep. Right before Xander interrupts. The whole digging up a grave thing would go a lot faster if they helped. Sorry, Buffy's an old-fashioned gal. She was raised to believe that men dig up the corpses and women have the babies. <laughs> But speaking of the whole wacky thing, she asks Willow what was up with Cordelia in the talk of painful memories. Willow explains that Daryl was Chris's older brother and a football player. I'll state, he died though, some kind of rock climbing accident, and that ever since then, Chris has been different, quiet. She hears their mother doesn't even leave the house anymore. Xander and Giles reach the coffin, and Buffy and Willow get to their feet, moving closer. Willow wants to know if they're hoping to find a corpse or no corpse. (laughs) Xander says personally he's hoping to find a chest of gold doubloons. (laughs) Sorry, Xander, you're going to be disappointed. Damn, I was with Xander. (laughs) I know. It's never, it's never gold doubloons. It's never gold doubloons. No. Giles says a corpse would point to the whole flesh-eating demon theory, while no corpse would point towards an army of zombies. So really, either Either option is equally horrific. Nope. At the school, cheerleader practice has ended and Cordelia is walking to her car along with some of the other girls. However, the other girls reach their car first, leaving Cordelia to walk the rest of the way alone, right as she begins hearing some creepy noises. Footsteps, like maybe she isn't alone. She practically runs the rest of the way to her car and begins trying to unlock it, but her hands are shaking and so she drops the keys. Reaching under the car to try to grab them, she sees a set of feet on the other side. Wigged out, she abandons the car, for now, and hides in a dumpster. When she opens to see if the coast is clear, there's Angel. Dana Dumpster was kind of the last place he expected to find her. (laughs) So this is another moment just at the start of their conversation where his mannerisms strike me as so much more angelic than Angel. Yeah. I think it's the smirk. I think it's any time like David smirks. Yeah, because he has like even... Like, even before he loses his soul, there's moments where just the way that David plays him, it it is, it does seem a little menacing. Like, if it wasn't, like, if you didn't know that he was the good guy, you would think that something was off. Like, because he does, he'll do later on a lot of things where he pretends that he's being nice Mm -hmm. after, you know, after he loses his soul again. So I don't know if it's something that's done on purpose or if it's just, you know, David has a way about him that when he smirks, he just looks creepy. I mean, I'd like to think it's something that's done on purpose because of the fact that Angelus is always going to be a part of him. Exactly. Just like who he is with his soul, Liam is always going to be a part of Angelus, whether Angelus wants to admit it or not. Exactly. Exactly. So I would like to think it's on purpose. Yeah, because he's still, because even when he has a soul, there is no taking away Angelus from Liam. Like, Because he was like, even when he was before he became a vampire, like you saw he was was never, he was kind of a dick. So even, even before he was turned, he was never a good guy. No. Like Spike was such a soft, like. But I think this. Like it was a difference. No, it's, it's, it's a very, it's, he was, like, Spike was very different, but I think that speaks to something about the nature of vampires in the Buffyverse, and I know, like, they try to set it up that you lose your soul, and a demon takes over, and you're not the person you were, that you mm-hmm. are, you're basically a complete stranger. I don't think that's true. No. Because, one, there's always going to be a part of yourself left over, but I also think that demon, and, like, whatever it is that makes you a vampire, it intensifies part of you. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Liam was a drunk and a dick. Yeah. And and Jealous is a fucking asshole. Yeah. A delightful asshole for you, the viewing audience, but a 
fucking asshole. I mean, not just to like the people he like toyed with as humans, but like when he slept with Drusilla to get to, to, to Spike, even back in the day. Yeah. And everything that he does to Spike when he gets his soul taken away again, like that whole thing, like, yeah, it's just he is a dick. Like he is just but so bad. Spike was as a human, he was he was he was very soft. He was very educated. He was a romantic. He was a poet. But Spike is a vampire loves intensely. Yes. And I think that is that like poet side of him being twisted by the demon and intensified. Yes. See, I like it. That's that's what I think about, too. Like when you when we, you know, get to the point where we see Spike in the past, like and that's why his whole thing with Drusilla, mm-hmm. like we, we just like I know there's been a whole thing about if vampires actually can love or thing. But yes, like his whole thing with Drusilla, he loves her. Oh my God. He like, she's his whole world. He, she is everything to him, which is more, all the more heartbreaking when everything happens, when everything goes down. Yeah. So, but then what Angel, you know, when he, when he loses his soul again, he's just all obsession. And and I feel like a lot of that, too, is reflected on who he was before. You know, like we're saying, everything, things are twisted. So if he was like Spike was before he was a vampire, you know, he could have been different. So I do think that how they were before is reflected in how they are as a vampire. Because, and they remember everything. They do. They, they remember like everything. If, if him not having, you know, if him when he lost his soul, you know, that it was just amplified his obsession with Buffy. I find it interesting that you said amplified because I do. And I know I know I am very harsh on Angel in this podcast <laughs> and I'm going to keep being harsh. I'm just <laughs> sorry. But I do think and I know there's so many people out there that are like, no, Angel was Buffy's true love, whatever. And, I, you know, I've told you all I am unapologetically Buffy Spike. But I do think. I think it was more of an obsession yeah. on Angel's side. I mean, Whistler took him to see her when she was first made the Slayer. And I think the fact that she was the Slayer and she was the chosen one. And so to Angel, she radiated this like yeah. goodness, goodness. And this side of good thing that he was like, if I'm with her, if she like, everybody says that the creator has an obsession with Beauty and the Beast. And I'm going to go right into that right now. Exactly. Because it's the whole that if she can love Love me. Exactly. And so I think Angel, I'm not saying Angel didn't care for Buffy, but I'm thinking in a way their relationship was almost narcissistic because if Buffy could love Angel, then yes, Angel's soul did make him a truly good person. And the thing is, yeah, like he couldn't do anything. Like he didn't think that he was capable of love. So he thought if she could love him, then he's not as bad as he thought. Once it gets to once he gets his own show and he's allowed to grow as a character outside of Buffy. Oh, I like Angel so much more on his own show. Yeah. Like it like on Buffy, I love Angelus. Yeah. But on Angel, I actually start to like Angel. Yeah, because again, like he grows as his own character. He's no longer on this. He's Buffy's love interest. He's the Romeo and Juliet forbidden love trope. And and even within being Buffy's love interest, they're painted into a box because exactly. of the nature of Angel's curse. Yep. You know this relationship can only go so far. Exactly. Exactly. So once you take that element away, it allows him to grow and become a much more interesting character. Oh yeah, he is so much more interesting when it gets to his own show. And then plus the characters that he's surrounded by on that show make him more of an interesting character. And he's less, like the first couple seasons, he still is that serious and brooding. But yeah. they really let him lighten up a lot oh, yeah. on the show. They they let him be a little goofy and silly, especially when he becomes a puppet. He is a puppet. And like when they go to Pylea and he's able to be in the sunlight. Yeah. Like my, my favorite thing is the whole like, that stick over there in the sun, I'll go get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they, they do. They just, they put him in situations where he can lighten up a lot. Exactly. But talking about Angel and being weird. Yes. So she asks why he was following her and he admits he didn't know it was her. 
at first that he was looking for Buffy. Um, Angel, that that's not really an excuse because you have never once seen Buffy in a cheerleading outfit. I'm pretty sure you know she's not a cheerleader since you creepily hang around and watch her. So why the fuck were you <laughs> following a random high school cheerleader? We've already established that Angel A is not the sharpest. <laughs> B, he probably was making an excuse to try to cover his tracks. C, he's not the sharpest. <laughs> I hear you're just like, look, Angel's dumb. Angel's That's dumb. all I got. He's That's, dumb. He's dumb. Like, there's, there's really nothing else we could say about him. He's dumb. It's a good thing he's got the face. He's got the face. I mean, uh, that's that's a lot of it. It's it's you're lucky you're pretty. Cordelia tells him Buffy's at the graveyard and he says Buffy told him she'd be at home. <gasps> Yeah, well, surprise. She lied. But hey, Cordelia's <laughs> night is free. She has Angel start to help her out of the dumpster, but her skirt is caught on something. It's a hand. A severed off oh. human hand. As Cordelia screams, we move to the library, where Buffy, Xander, Willow, and Giles are returning from their adventure. Both other coffins were empty, so it looks like Voodoo Practitioner wins out. Coming farther into the library, they notice Cordelia is there with Angel. <laughs> they do a bit of the name game thing. Angel, Buffy, Angel, Xander, Dr. Scott. <laughs> Dr. Scott, Janet. <laughs> Before Angel says he thought Buffy was taking the night off. She was, till something came up. Angel tells her Cordelia told him the truth, and Xander responds that that must be a first. <laughs> Of course, this whole time, Cordy is just hanging on to Angel. Giles says if Angel's there, then maybe he can help. I like his, like, being the adult, like, dad in the room. Like, yeah. we're all going to play nice. Yes, we're, we're not going to argue. We have work to do. There's things happening. There was a hand in the dumpster. They tell him they've been investigating the fact that the graves of three girls were robbed. The bodies taken. And he says he knows they found some of them. What, like some of the girls? No, like some of the bodies. Parts. <laughs> Cordelia mentions the hand or arm. It looked like a hand, but she says arm. That got caught on her skirt. And apparently there were a lot more parts along with it in the dumpster. Cordelia wonders why these things always happen to her. <laughs> I know, As Xander Cordy. coughs out, karma. <laughs> Willow then says that kind of destroys their zombie theory. It kind of destroys all their theories, really. Buffy doesn't get it. Why dig up the corpses of three girls only to then chop up the bodies and throw them away? Angel says what they saw, it didn't add up to three whole girls. They kept some parts. Oh. And just when Buffy thought it couldn't get any more gross. Oh. Okay, but then why dispose of them five miles from the cemetery? Maybe because whoever did it had some business in the neighborhood? Like classes? Angel's unsure. The points for the pieces were severed. They didn't look like they were made by an amateur. Giles wonders if there's any student at the school who could achieve something so accurate and precise. Who has that level of understanding of anatomy and physiology? Willow says she can think of some. About <laughs> five or six in the science club and herself. Xander says that's it then. If Willow apologizes and promises never to do it again, <laughs> they can call it a day. Angel sort of stares at him and he says he's joking. It's always, it's so funny because anytime it's like a smart person, it's always, usually it's, you know, Willow's name comes up. And I love that Willow always self-identifies too. She's oh, like, yeah. well, I could have murdered this person. I could have. didn't. But I could have. <laughs> no, no one suspected you, Willow. No, ever. no, no. Willow, you would never, A, you would never Please be able. for a few more seasons. Oh, no, no, no. And then she has good reason to snap and go crazy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Buffy asks Willow to get the locker number of the science club guy so they can check them out. But Cordelia says she needs to leave. Now, she needs to shower and burn the clothes she's currently wearing. Oh, well, if she has to go, bye-bye. <laughs> Of course, she's too afraid to go alone, being so fragile and all. Will Angel take her? Angel's not real sure what to say, <laughs> but it's clear Buffy doesn't love that idea. Not that it matters if Angel knows what to say, because Cordelia doesn't really give him a chance to answer. She just says she'll drive and leads him away. Bye-bye now. Huh. Xander always figured him for a one-girl kind of vampire. To be fair, he didn't really go willingly. Like, he no. was no, he coerced into going. It wasn't like he... He was vampire napped. Yes, he was vampire napped. But then even if he did volunteer to go, like... It would have just been being nice. Being nice and keeping an eye on her. 
because she was obviously in distress. Off Buffy's confused and almost disgusted look, we go to the Epps residence where Chris and Daryl's mother is sitting watching old game footage. Chris tells his mother that he's going out, but she doesn't even notice. At Sunnydale High, the locker search is on. Giles doing his duty by reminding them all it is highly unethical (laughs) and he cannot condone it. That out of the way, he grabs one of the lockers to search himself. Most come up empty, aside from some scientific monthly magazines, one of which Willow has not read yet. (laughs) But in Chris's locker, they find a ton of anatomy books, as well as the article about the three girls. So he's definitely their man. But why? Well, Buffy can answer that. As in Eric's locker, there's a taped together picture of a woman using various magazine cutouts for all the parts. Seems Chris and Eric are building themselves a girl. No, really. As we next see them in a lab of some kind, Eric singing my girl as Chris (laughs) checks on the form beneath the sheet. Eric asks how his baby is and Chris reminds him that she's not his baby. Eric says she's not going to be anyone's baby if they don't hurry up and finish. Chris says he's working on it and Eric says so is he as he hangs up the photo he took of Willow, Buffy, and Cordelia. The next day at school, the Scoobies are on the lookout for Chris and Eric, but they've yet to show. Buffy still doesn't get it. Why make a girl? Xander says it's because people never fall in love with what's right in front of them. They want what's unattainable. And this comment is just Uh, so pointed and it applies to all of them. Everybody. Yep. Like, he's clearly talking about Buffy and Angel and him not realizing that he's also talking about him and Willow and and Buffy. Yeah, no, it's it's all of them. The the comment works for everybody. Apparently everyone is unattainable when it comes to Eric, at least if they're alive. Yeah, okay, he's kind of a creep, but what about Chris? He seems human-ish. Willow's unsure. Apparently the thing with his brother messed him up pretty bad. He talked a lot about death after it. Maybe he's trying to get one up on death. Willow is giving off major Sally from the Nightmare Before Christmas vibes with the top she's wearing in the oh, scene. Oh yeah, yeah, it's so so cute. But that's not possible. Cheating death, building a person from scraps and bringing them to life, is it? Willow says if it is, then her science project is definitely coming in second this year. Xander then spies Giles waiting for Miss Calendar and the three head over. Buffy asks if he's seen either of their mad scientists that morning, but Giles says no. Clearly he's been too focused on waiting for Jenny, who then appears. Buffy reminds Giles to keep it simple, but personalize it. Like, <laughs> she's a techno-pagan, right? So ask her to bless his laptop. <laughs> <laughs> like Giles has a laptop. Right? I was thinking that. I was like, does he have uh, a laptop? He calls the computer that thing. And if he has has a laptop, it's going to be from Jenny. So it probably came pre-blessed. She would bless it already. I now need confirmation that that's like one of the first gifts Jenny gave him. Yeah. Here you go. Here's a laptop. What do I do with it? What do you do with a regular computer? (laughs) You use it to email me. (laughs) And then just the two of them just growing together. I mean, we're we're talking about in the theoretical realm. Yes, in the theoretical realm. And him just kind of accepting the computer. Yes, I need, I just, I just need this. I just need this. The things we could have had. I know, we could have had it all. I was about to say Q and Del. I'm, I'm, I'm there. I got you. Remember. (laughs) You you usually are right there. Wherever my brain is, your brain is not far behind. If there's a song cue, I'll take it. They head off, even as Giles tells them not to leave him alone. (laughs) And Jenny comes up telling him good morning. As they walk inside, Giles attempts to ask her out, but just keeps fumbling. Tripping over himself and never actually getting to it. As the bell rings and Jenny has to get to her classroom. She does, however, peek her head back in and say, if it's important, Giles can tell her at the game. She can even pick him up and they can get food on the way. Does he like Mexican? (gasps) Though a bit surprised she's going, Giles readily accepts. She heads back into her classroom and Giles remarks to himself that that went rather well. Aw. I mean, it did. It did. Not through anything you did, Giles. She took the initiative. But the end result was the same. But you know what? She probably was waiting for him to ask her out, do something. But she knows. 
she knows that he's going to have difficulty with it. So she has to do it. (laughs) That's true. We know who wears the pants of this relationship. Oh, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's Jenny. In the science room, Xander plays with a model head while Willow looks up how someone would even attempt to reanimate a corpse. Buffy walks in, confirming neither Chris nor Eric are in school that day. Something that makes her wonder if they aren't too late and that girl is already wandering around somewhere. Giles highly doubts that as he managed to talk to someone in the press and the police found all three heads, meaning Chris and Eric are still at least one step short of completing their masterpiece. Down in the basement of the Epps house, Chris and Eric argue. They need to move fast. They're going to lose the body if they don't attach a head soon. Chris says they can turn up the current that that will buy them at least a day. But Eric says they need to act now. They can't just wait and hope another accident drops a head in their lap. Besides, it's just one girl. (laughs) One girl or not, Chris doesn't want to do it. He doesn't want to kill anyone. Turning to a third person in the room, he begs him not to make him do it. The person steps into the light and we see it's Daryl, Chris's older brother, stitched together and reanimated following his accident. He says Chris promised him, promised him he wouldn't be alone. In his introduction, Daryl is described as this big hulking thing has one green eye and one brown eye. His face, all of him that we can see, has been stitched together. This guy's a walking jigsaw puzzle. Meet Daryl Epps. And of course, it's Frankenstein's monster. Absolutely. Eric tells him the body is perfect, that all they need is a head and she'll be ready by sunrise. Daryl tells him that when he brought him back, he promised him, promised he'd take care of him. But this is different. Chris doesn't want to take a life. Eric says he told him, told him to take, if you take a life to make a life, it all evens out. (laughs) Maybe there's another way. Maybe Daryl could go out, show people he's still, no, Daryl doesn't want anyone to see him. He says Chris has always been the smarter one of the two of them and that Chris is the only one who can help him now. Resigned, Chris lets Eric show Daryl the pictures. He does, and Daryl chooses Cordelia. Ah, a man of tastes. Once again, humming my girl, Eric cuts Cordelia's head out of the photo. So there's actually an interesting note at the start of the basement scene, and I'm not really sure what it means. Maybe Jackie can uh, shed some light on this when she hears this episode. But it says, we track slowly in at the sign that says, no trespassing, keep out. ADs beware, Chris's mom may be in the shot. Um, okay. Oh, do you know what, so you may know what that means. Because, um... I think because I because it's a it's definitely a production thing because what they're doing is because of the way that they're coming through the house, their mom is always sitting on the sofa mm-hmm. watching TV. So they what it may be is, you know, when they're tracking through to go to the basement, she may have been in that scene. So they wanted everybody to be ready just in case. That's my guess. So like if they do a walk through that shot and they realize that the sofa is visible, then yeah, you're going to need to have their mom. Yes. Yeah. So it's just a matter of. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I just, I hadn't seen a note like that before. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of the way that the shot is moving through the house to the basement where, where they're going to be. Okay. I mean, I could be completely wrong. <laughs> I mean, it, sound, it, it, sounds it sounds like you're yeah, right. It like, makes sense in my head. logical. <laughs> we'll find out. Yes. Get our person on the inside on this. That's right. <laughs> in the library, Willow tries to figure out if anybody currently in the morgue system would work for giving them a head. See, if a brain of it is exposed to formaldehyde for too long, it starts to deteriorate some of the cells. So whatever head they use, it's going to have to be fresh, real fresh. That catches Buffy's attention and she asks, just how fresh is real fresh? (laughs) Frowning, Willow asks if Buffy really believes they'd kill someone. She says she thinks someone who would chop up the bodies of dead girls would do just about anything. They need to split up, find them. About that, Giles is supposed to be meeting Miss Calendar and yeah, fine, fine. They'll meet him at the game. (laughs) Buffy goes to Chris and Daryl's house where their mother opens the door. Buffy identifies herself as a friend of Chris's and says she needs to talk to him. Is he home? Mrs. Epps says nothing, just returns to her chair and the game she keeps watching. When she does finally speak, it's about Daryl and the game. Nothing about Chris. She mentions how Daryl would have been turning 19 the following week. Spying the basement door, a door covered with a ton of keep out and do not enter stickers, making it instantly suspicious. Yeah, yeah, of course. And she takes it upon herself 
to head down there. She pokes around a bit, conveniently not looking behind the curtain that divides the basement, Mm -hmm. before taking notice of the work table. It's covered in books, photos, and a rendering of a human body, muscle, islet, and veins showing, with Cordelia's head pasted on top. As she's looking over all of this, Daryl is sneaking up behind her, grab her, strangle her, something. His hands are out. But before he can get close enough, the door begins to open. Daryl backs up, and Buffy heads for the basement window, climbing out. Game night. In the locker room, Cordelia and the other cheerleaders prep for the game. One asks if she's coming, and finishing putting on her lip gloss, Cordelia says she'll be right there. That's when Chris appears. She asks him what he's doing there right before Eric puts a bag over her head and begins attempting to drag her off. Racing through the halls, Buffy asks the other cheerleaders where Cordelia is. A snotty cheerleader, whose name is apparently Joy, (laughs) tells Buffy that Cordelia has a game to get to and doesn't need Buffy distracting her. Oh. Buffy shoots her arm out, stopping Joy from going going down the steps and basically asks her if she would like to reconsider that answer. <laughs> Buffy arrives in the locker room as Eric is tying Cordelia up. She kicks Eric away, who takes off running and then begins to untie Cordy. Buffy asks if she's all right and she says, yeah, but she needs to get on the field. They're about <laughs> to do the pyramid and she is the apex. As she leaves, Buffy realizes there is still someone else in the locker room and turns to address Chris. I love how Cordy, she was just attacked. She had a bag thrown over her head. And she's like, you know what? I got to go out and be a cheerleader. She has a sense of obligation. She knows what she has to do. She's also getting way too used to this kidnapping thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no. And it's not going to get easier. No, not at all. There are many more kidnappings in her future, I am sure. Yeah, no, she's going to be tied up a lot. He can still stop this. It isn't too late. She knows what it's like to lose someone she cares about. Someone she was close to and wait, 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 wait. Is this actually an acknowledgement of Merrick's death? Possibly. He would have been the only person that died by this point. Yeah. Which I love all the more knowing that in the original script, she says she doesn't know what it's like to lose someone. Yeah. So the creator or someone else looked at that line and went like, hey. Yes. Wait. So just well done. Well done person who changed that line. Finally. Finally, there's some justice for Merrick. I just need justice for Jesse now. Justice for Jesse. I don't think we get justice for Jesse, Mary. I don't think we do either. No, actually we do, but we don't get it within the TV show. Oh, okay. We do get justice for Jesse later on in the comics when Xander is talking to someone. I think it's a cop whose partner has become a vampire and... Xander says the first vampire he staked was his best friend. And even till the end, all he saw was his best friend. Well, I'm glad somebody, somebody acknowledged Jesse. So we get this tiny, tiny acknowledgement of Merrick. And way later down the road, we'll get a tiny acknowledgement (sighs) of Jesse. So they both get, it's not enough justice. They both get some justice. We'll take tiny little crumbs. We will. We will take our tiny crumbs. Chris steps out from behind the row of lockers and says he has to, that he promised him, that he always looked out for him and now he's all alone, that everyone loved him and now, now he has no one. Though originally thinking he's talking about Eric, Buffy quickly realizes he means Daryl. Daryl, who is having a fit in the basement, raging as he says Chris promised him. Eric says it's not too late, that he and Daryl can still do it. Chris isn't the only one who can make life after all. Chris and Buffy arrive at the house only to find Eric and Daryl gone. They put together that Eric is continuing with the plan and head back to the school where Giles and Jenny are on their date. Oh, so cute. Giles carrying all the snacks. (laughs) As Jenny talks about why she loves football, a sport Giles immediately puts down is he doesn't understand why one needs 40 pounds of padding to play rugby. (laughs) And like the moment I heard that, all I wanted to do was play Steve's speech from Coupling. Yeah. Where he's talking about cushions and he's like, if I was an American football player. (laughs) So I was like, Nate, Giles would appreciate that. All the, yeah, it's, I love, I I just love that moment. He's like, all that padding to play rugby. (laughs) Jenny asks if this is his usual strategy for a first date, insulting the national pastime of the other's country. Football isn't 
actually baseball the national is the national pastime. No, oh, we'll give it to Jenny. Jenny's not actually American. That's true. Yeah. No, we'll just we'll give it to we'll, her. We'll She's give gonna, it to her. Yeah. She's trying. Yes, and he doesn't know the difference. So that's right. Giles doesn't know. I, I like again. That's probably just a fluke on the side of the writers. Yeah. But yeah. you know, we find out later. Jenny most likely isn't from America. Yeah. We never get confirmation that she was born in Romania. Yeah. But most likely isn't from America and Giles isn't from America. So like she gets this wrong. He doesn't know. He's not going to know any different. No, it's fine. Like like I said, it's probably a mistake, but even if it's not, it works really well. And that's just a really well done moment. If it is intentional. Exactly. Date. Did she say date? She did. Caught that. Did he? Before he can respond, Xander and Willow show up. Turns out Eric's was a bust. Nothing but computer equipment and a porn collection that scared even Xander. (laughs) They ask if Buffy has returned and Giles says no, not yet. Before suggesting that Xander and Willow possibly circulate down by the field. They promptly ignore that suggestion and climb up onto the bleachers stealing Giles' popcorn. (laughs) The narration all through this is amazing. Featuring stuff like... Silly schoolboy grin. Hey, look, Willow and Xander have joined us. And it's become a date with children. That is. It's just, it's so good. I just, I love it so much. Yeah, it has become a date with children. (laughs) Look, if you're going to date a single dad, Jenny. Seriously, look at all. You got to acknowledge that he has three children as well. He has all these children. From underset bleachers, Daryl watches the team he was once a part of. Something described in the script as having a Phantom of the Opera-like quality to it. So we got we got Frankenstein and Phantom of the Opera. Where I know we're doing real well with this episode. Before fixating on Cordelia, as she leaves the field to grab a drink of water, he grabs her. Her screams drowned out by the cheering of the crowd. Chris and Buffy arrive, scanning the field, but it's too late. She's gone. Tied down on some table in an abandoned building that serves as Chris and Eric's lab, Cordelia begs them to take off the blindfold, promising she won't scream. Of course, that's a lie. And the minute the blindfold comes off, that's exactly what she does. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Eric says she can scream all she wants. Abandoned building, remember? Cordelia realizes the person who took the blindfold off is Daryl. He says she was always good to him, always wanted to be with him, but he ignored her. He's sorry for that and grateful that he has this chance to make things right between them, to show her how much her wanting to be with him means to him. Eric says they're ready. Ready for what? Eric tells her she may feel a little pinched, some discomfort around the neck, but when she wakes up, she'll have the body of a (laughs) 17-year-old. Actually, she'll have the body of several of them. (laughs) Finding Cordelia's pom-poms by the water table, Buffy says they were there. So where would they take her? To the rest of the body. And that is Chris said he promised, and Buffy reminds him that they're going to kill Cordelia. The old science lab. They're there. Buffy heads that way and tells Chris to find Willow and Xander and fill them in. So fun fact, apparently the old science lab is the only part of the original school still standing. Oh. The rest was destroyed in the earthquake that buried the master back in 1937. Okay. In the lab, Cordelia says he doesn't have to do this. But Daryl says he does. He has to do this so they can be together. They will be together. Cordelia promises she'll stay there with him. Daryl doesn't believe her, though. This is the way. Once she's finished, she won't go out. She won't run away. They can just hide together. Eric approaches Cordelia with the scalpel as Buffy kicks the door down. He tosses the scalpel at Buffy, but she catches it and Cordelia yells for her to help her. Buffy tells Daryl that that she knows what he's going to do and that she can't let him. That Chris sent her to stop him. Daryl doesn't believe Chris would do that. Buffy promises Cordelia she'll get her out of there and Daryl says he's not done yet. He's not finished with Cordelia. He moves to saw her head off, but Buffy stops him, the two beginning to fight. As they battle it out, Eric flees, and somewhere along the way, a fire starts in the lab. Xander and Willow arrive, along with Giles, Miss Callender, and Chris. Buffy tells Xander to get Cordelia out of there as she continues to deal with Daryl. At one point, Daryl has Buffy down on the floor, about to hit her with something when Chris yells out, no, because that's not his brother. Realizing what's happened and what he's become, Daryl races into the fire, deciding to burn alongside the unfinished body of his beloved outside once the fire department has arrived and the fire is out buffy sits with chris chris says daryl said he shouldn't have brought him back angel appears saying he saw the fire and thought (laughs) buffy would be there god (laughs) 
there was a fire. I thought you would be here. Well, I mean, I, okay, she did burn she did, down. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. And it's know, near the school. Still, Angel, come on. <laughs> but he's not wrong. I mean, he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't wrong. No. Giles is checking on Jenny, saying it was quite a night. She agrees, but says a good rule of thumb is not to do something so exciting on the first date <laughs> that the second date has no chance of standing up to it. Giles tells her that actually, with living on a hellmouth, this is a slow night. And did she say second date? Yes, she did. Having their own little conversation, Xander comments to Willow how everyone seems to have paired up. The vampire has a date. The school librarian has a date. (laughs) But not them. Why is that? Cordelia comes up thanking Xander for saving her life and saying if there's anything she can do to express her gratitude. Does she mind? They're talking. (laughs) With a what the fuck face, Cordelia walks off as Xander turns back to Willow. Where were they again? Uh, wondering why they never have dates. Yeah, why is that? (laughs) So... As this episode was ending and I was finishing my notes for it, I was actually watching the end of it with Panda. And I said, we know that Xander and Cordelia, when they do finally get together, it's that I hate you, blah, 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 like snarking at each Mm -hmm. other and then making out in a closet. But do we think this and Xander saving Cordelia's life here, do we think this is possibly the start of where she started to see him a bit differently? Yes. Yes. Like... That scene at the end and the look on her face, like she was genuinely thanking him. Like she was genuinely trying mm-hmm. to bridge the gap between them. So, yeah, I yeah. definitely think that this is her seeing him. I think so, too. In a different and I light. Mean, yeah. But that, that's, that's a good thing about Cordelia, separate from like her growing attraction to Xander. Mm hmm. Is that like at the end of Out of Mind, Out of Sight, she was genuinely grateful for what the Scoobies had done. Like she doesn't always get along with them. They're kind of weird. And that is just. And even um, even (laughs) though she's been brought into this weird world, it's still not. She still doesn't see it as her world. So it's not completely linked to them yet. But we'll, yeah. we'll really see later on and as she when she gets together with Xander. Yeah. A bigger change. So while she's not, not ready to have lunch with them and deal with them on a daily basis right now, she does understand the part Buffy plays in the like. Exactly. We are all alive right now because, because of, of this girl. And so she is genuinely grateful for that. Yeah. And she because now she understands why Buffy and even the rest of the Scoobies, why they are the way they are. Like their weirdness isn't just weirdness. Like there is more to it to why they are the way they are. Yeah. And I like that. I like watching, like we said, watching Cordelia come to this understanding and awareness that the world is bigger and different than she thought. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's just, Cordelia's, Cordelia's arc is just so wonderful. I can, and it explains, I can it explains why Buffy is always, was always at the weird things, was... Yeah. Like, she understands now. She may not like it. It's still weird to her, but now she knows. Mm-hmm. Buffy and Angel walk through the cemetery talking. They talk of love, and Buffy assures him that she's not in love with Xander. Yeah, but he's in her life. He eats her meals, <laughs> takes her classes, sees her in the sunlight... Buffy says, that's okay. She doesn't look good in direct light. Angel mentions this almost morning and Buffy says, yeah, she should probably get home too. She offers to walk Angel home and he takes (laughs) her hand. Together, they walk off as the camera focuses in on the grave of Daryl Epps. The So just a few final thoughts from my end. I just wanted to touch on the parallels between this episode and the Frankenstein tale slash movies, because we definitely see Chris placed in the Victor or Henry, if you're going by the movies. Yep role. He's obsessed with death and defying it because of a personal tragedy. But while for Chris, it was the death of his brother, for Victor, it was his mother who passed away due to scarlet fever. Mm -hmm. Also, Victor never actually brings his mother back. It's just her death that inspires his work. The creature, or Prometheus as he is often called, is not really any one person. He is instead a patchwork of bodies reanimated by Victor to prove this could be done. And the best thing about it, (laughs) which also serves as a parallel to this episode, is that Victor was not even a doctor there there was no dr frankenstein this dude was an undergrad and his experiment was just that it was an experiment while he was still in school he was a med student yeah he was he yeah he he wasn't even a doctor (laughs) 
The making of a girlfriend for Daryl is also key to both the original Frankenstein novel and the Bride of Frankenstein movie. In both of these, the creature wants a mate, someone just like him so that he doesn't have to be alone. And that's a sentiment Chris kept reiterating through the episode, that his brother was alone and he didn't want Daryl to be alone. And Daryl, like the creature, knows what he is, knows that no normal human will ever love and accept him. And that also kind of goes back to what we said in the beginning about the whole like theme with Cyrano. Yep. He knows that, that no normal person would ever love him, which is why he says what he does to Cordelia, that like she won't go out, she won't run away because she'll be just like him. Exactly. And she'll hide with him. And of course, the final sequence in the laboratory is very reminiscent of The Bride of Frankenstein, where the creature sends Henry, as it's the movie version, and his bride off and away from the lab saying that it is for them to live while it is for him to die. And he stays in the lab with the built bride, destroying it himself and the bride. Of course, since this is universal and there's like 84 sequels, you find out he's not really dead. (laughs) But the idea is... And then he's going to destroy himself, the other creature, and the lab. So those are my final thoughts. I just, since we brought it up and we talked about how this was an homage to Frankenstein, Mm -hmm. I did just want to hit on a couple of those parallels. Do you have anything else for us, Froggy? I do. Um, So when I was looking on the Buffy Wikipedia to get the international titles, I did come across a really interesting quote from uh, writer David Fury. Um, He had questioned the amazing technological abilities that the Sunnydale residents have, such as reanimating (laughs) the dead in this episode, making lifelike robots in Ted and I was made to love you. And to which the creator replied, you're just way overthinking it. The Hellmouth should be able to provide us with anything we want to do. The energy that comes out of it makes mad scientists out of humans who then go ahead and create something evil. So I saw that and I just loved it because it does explain why all this weird stuff is happening. How can these people do things? It's the Hellmouth. So it's always... It's always the Hellmouth that it, and it's it's perfect because you know these kids somewhere else would just be you know scientists you know little kids kids experimenting on things but because of the evil of the Hellmouth it twists people who may have just been minor serial killers in the first place. That's good. Eric would have just been a serial killer in any other town. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, also- collecting body parts. It also kind of like when I was thinking back, I was thinking with this quote back to Fritz, you know, he, you know, would have just been a weird, you know, computer guy. But because of the proximity to the Hellmouth, it made him even more intense. I will say, though, for Eric and Chris, according to the Sunnydale High yearbook, they both graduated, they're still alive, and they both benefited from therapy. Oh, good. I am glad somebody got therapy in this universe. someone in this town got therapy. I know. But now I'm thinking, like, what about the therapists in this town? Man, there's just so much about, like, especially if we're going off the idea that the Hellmouth twists people. There's just, there's so much fuckery that could be going on in this town. I know. I know. And then, like, little things and things that you never hear about or see because it's not exactly around Buffy. Right. Yeah. Huh. You know how, like, back when the Star Wars extended universe was still a thing? Not that I'm bitter. <laughs> That's and a different podcast. Like, different podcast. And we had like Tales from Moss Eisley. Yes. Tales from Jabba's Palace. Yep, yep. Tales of the Bat. I need that for the Buffyverse. And I just need it for Sunnydale. Like, just tell me about all the weird shit people say to their psychiatrists in this town. Yeah, exactly. Like, like what goes on in the, like, what is the, what are the, me- the minutes of a meeting in the mayor's office? It, yeah. Like, I just need all this like weird little stuff because you know it comes up. Because I also think about that, too, like when I watch Teen Wolf, like like I I like to think about, you know, the tertiary characters who have to deal with fallout from different things. Yes. Not even like the tertiary characters. Like, isn't Scott's mom a nurse? Yeah. And and what kind of shit does she see in the hospital? Styles' dad is the sheriff. So (laughs) I know. (laughs) We think about way too much. Like we do. We we would be getting yelled at like David Fury because we overthink things. Yes, yeah, we'd be sitting there in the meeting like, uh, so how is this gonna happen? No, no, it's the hellmouth. It's the hellmouth. The answer is always it's the hellmouth. Okay, but why did these people huh. the hellmouth. Okay. It's the hellmouth. <laughs> like 
post-it notes everywhere. Hellmouth. 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 What? Hellmouth. Oh, I love this show. <laughs> I do too. I love this stupid show. I know so much. And you know what? I love it even more as an adult. Yes, absolutely. Because like, we're, we're, you think about different things that you don't think about when you're watching it as a teenager. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like it was so meaningful to me as a teenager. And it's still meaningful to me as an adult. But being able... I know a lot of people are like, oh, I wish I could watch it again for the first time. But I actually enjoy being able yes. to go back and rewatch it, knowing the whole picture and kind of being able to see those pieces like we we keep pointing out yeah. of you can see where the story is going and where they're planting the seeds of these things yeah, it's, that will come along. That's, that's the thing. Like, yes, you wish you could see it with fresh eyes. But when you watch certain things at different points in your life different things are meaningful to you and you start yeah. to notice different things. Cause when you're watching it, you're all wrapped up in the show. Like, Oh, this is so cool. This is exciting. Mm -hmm. But especially now when you're getting into the second season, you're really seeing a lot of the pieces coming together. You're seeing you where it's going to go, even just, you know, and, and mostly it's going to be through season two, but then going into season three, like you're really building up to what is going to happen. Yeah. And, and like every time now, every time they mention the Every time yes. somebody just says the mayor, I get so excited because I know where it's going to go, but yeah. I really enjoy going along on this ride, even knowing where it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's just uh, so good. It's uh, I just. Uh. Okay. Okay. We could just spend the, the next hour talking about how much we love it. <laughs> right? Like, I could just say all day be like, oh, I love this oh, show. This is so good. Oh. <laughs> all right. That's it for this week. Thank you all for listening. And make sure you join us next time when we take on season two, episode three, School Heart. Yay. Featuring, <laughs> featuring the arrival of most people's favorite character. <laughs> And hopefully we'll get Jackie back. Hopefully we'll get Jackie back. Until then, check out our various social media channels, all of which will be listed in the show notes. And if you like the show and you want to let us know it, you can subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or write to us directly at thewatchersdiaries at gmail.com. Bye. It's the Hellmouth. <laughs> <laughs>